Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, from St. John's book of Revelation, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It is great to be back at Christ the Redeemer. This is my third visit in my third year of my episcopacy, um, and it's just refreshing to be here. Just, I do enjoy every Sunday because it's always there's always just an excited kind of spirit of I don't know that runs through a parish or a mission. Um, but I think you're probably like this every Sunday, so it's awesome. So, um, let me say a quick word about the Book of Revelation that we just read from. Um, the author, John, St. John, uh, is living in an age when slaves are marked or sealed or tattooed uh, by their owners. And in the context of, of this book, we discover that we as human beings are marked in either two ways. There are only two options. Uh, so I want to ask the question, whose mark do you bear? And then we're going to come back to that question at the very end. So don't let me forget to address that. <laughs> Personal note, uh, the opening hymn is my favorite hymn. And I'll tell you why. When I was in elementary school, I had a teacher who offhandedly said the Indians used to teach their children if they're having a nightmare to turn and face the monster or whatever they're having a nightmare about and confront it and it'll go away. Well, sometime around 2003 or seven, somewhere in that, there was something major going on in the life of the church um, and I was sleeping and I found myself walking down an empty street in downtown Fort Worth, and I could just tangibly feel the presence of evil, and I realized Satan was pursuing me. So I turned around and I began to sing, all hail the power of Jesus' name, and he disappeared. And it worked. So <laughs> I don't normally have that kind of control over my dreams, but um, so from that day, this, this hymn is now my favorite hymn. Uh, today is Christ the King Sunday, as Father Culpepper mentioned. It, it closes out the Christian year, uh, and I think it's done intentionally to communicate a message. In fact, you know, the entire church calendar communicates a message, and it's really about God's redeeming work in human history. So next week, we'll begin to hear about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior of the world, and we'll spend some weeks in preparation for his arrival. And then Christmas, of course, focuses on the arrival of our Savior Jesus. In Epiphany and, and beyond, we begin seeing his manifestation to the world. Uh, and then we hit Lent, and we begin to reflect on his suffering on our behalf. Uh, and then Holy Week, as he goes to the cross. And then, of course, Easter Sunday. and the 50 days that follow, we celebrate the most amazing event in all of human history, Jesus rising from the dead to open the way to eternal life for each of us. And then we hit Pentecost, God's gift of himself onto the church. Uh, on the first day, first Pentecost, of course, we remember the story, the Holy Spirit lights upon the, the apostles and breathes life into this body, which is the body of Christ. Um, and through the Holy Spirit, of course, Jesus is made manifest to us, not just in the sacrament, but he's present right now because there's certainly more than two or three of us gathered in his name this morning. So through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is here. And then the rest of the year focuses on God's work through the church, uh, through the body of Christ, and how it is this organ, organism um, that is tasked with reaching the world with that same saving, redeem, redeeming work, that same message of what God has done on our behalf. 
And then the season closes with a high note, and that is, as Father Culpepper said, we're wearing white, this celebration, this uh, typically we wear it at Easter as well. It's, it's just to remind us of the great uh, beauty and majesty and awesomeness of God. Um, and so we finish the year with Christ the King. Now, you and I live in the United States, and we haven't been under a king for 250 years. Maybe one or two of you came from another country that had a monarch. Most of us in here have no clue what it means to really live under the authority of a king, an earthly king. And that's why I think the thoughts that we think about on this Christ the King Sunday are, number one, hard for us to really understand. And number two, as we read some of the gospel narratives and, and we see the kingship of Jesus, uh, and then we know how the story ends, there's a little bit of irony in that. The man who rides into Jerusalem on a colt with people waving palm branches around, shouting Hosanna in the highest, ends up nailed to a cross. The man who Pilate confronts, who says, I am a king, and my, but my kingdom is not of this world. I've come to share the truth of God the Father to the world. Uh, he is king, and yet he's beaten and whipped and scourged. There's great irony in all of that. When we read about the crowds welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, we see the irony because we know that he is, in fact, the blessed king who's come to establish his kingdom. And when we read about soldiers nailing that sign on the cross, we see the irony of it because we know who Jesus is. We know that he's not just king of the Jews, but in fact, king of kings and lord of lords. When we just read about Pilate interrogating Jesus, we see the irony because he is truly the king. As St. Paul says in Colossians, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And he demonstrated his kingly power, not by conquering or controlling or demanding, but by suffering, serving, submitting to the will of God. He demonstrated God the Father. He demonstrates his power by making peace by the blood of the cross. So today we celebrate the feast of Christ the King. And as Advent approaches this season of preparation that we're about to enter, this day reminds us of who it is we're preparing for. This Sunday puts the season of Advent, in fact, into perspective for us. It reminds us the cute little baby that we read about, born in a manger and wrapped in swaddling clothes and cooing in his mother's arms, is, as St. Paul says, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, who is before all things and in all things and in all things hold together. It reminds us that Jesus, the Jesus who is our friend and our comforter, our savior, is also the Lord of the universe. As a feast day, what does Christ the King do for us? Only a small number of people here, as I said, um, have lived in a place where a monarch exists. Maybe none of us. Most of us here are used to politicians who for the most part turn over every one or two elections. Some of course don't, but should. Um, <laughs> In order for politicians to gain power, they have to convince us to vote for them. And we only allow them the power we're willing to give them. The idea of a king or a kingdom and the importance that that king has in the life of his subjects is pretty foreign to us. In fact, the influence of the king of England on the colonies is what led to the American Revolution. We wanted nothing to do with it. And sadly, sometimes we act that way with Christ, our king. We want people to rule themselves in the United States, not be ruled over, but we shouldn't be 
lulled into thinking we're somehow self-autonomous. There have been times when kings and queens have shaped the lives of their subjects for the better. The people who were under their influence and direction and protection um, submitted to the royalty because the royalty cared about them. And of course, there have been times when it didn't go so well as, as well. If we're honest as Christians, deep down in our hearts, we know that Jesus is king and that we should allow him to rule over us because his rule is out of love and care. But somewhere else deep inside, we, we really do desire to be autonomous. The notion that we are somehow in charge of ourselves. We may not come out and say that, but we often live our lives as if that really is the way it, it goes. So this Christ the King Sunday, we need to reflect, how much influence do I allow Jesus to have in my life? How much authority do I give to my King? And are, am I allowing the King to in fact shape my life in his gracious rule and will? If not, have I even given up trying? Here's an incredible temptation we feel when we really think about the enormous gap that exists between what God wants for me and how I actually live my life. And that temptation is to simply give up. Many may want to declare defeat in the face of this reality that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, but our King doesn't give up on us. I wanna share a true story, but the name, place, and date have been changed to protect the guilty. It's a story I read by another Christian author called The Story of Hank the Janitor. Hank worked the night shift mopping the tiles of an office building. Filled with young, energetic attorneys during the day, it was only Hank and his mop at night. Hank had a lonely, self-imposed uh, self exile of a life. He almost never encountered anybody else. That wasn't how it had always been, though. There was a time many years ago when Hank was a top executive, a CEO. Known then as Henry, he worked the good jobs, he knew the right people, belonged to the country club, he was well respected, he was at the top. Then he made a bad decision. He killed somebody and realizing his error, he fled into the night. He began this self-imposed prison sentence of the same night after night routine of an office building janitor. Ashamed of what he did, he hid from the world he resigned to mop up coffee spills and shoe marks the rest of his life. He would often finish his job an hour before quitting time, but he never left his post early. He would spend those last few minutes peering through the glass frontals of the offices, thinking back to a time when his life was different. Then one early morning, he was leaning against a wall, eating a burrito and thinking back on the good old times. And he heard his name, Hank, Hank. He looked around and didn't see anyone. And again, Hank, Hank. He realized as he looked, it was coming from the mop bucket. Initially, he thought someone was playing a trick on him, but then he heard the voice again from the mop bucket, Hank, Hank, take off your boots for the tile in which you're standing is holy. I guess you recognize the story. It may seem far-fetched, but I would bet Moses was just as surprised to hear the voice of God coming out of a burning bush as Hank would have been out of a mop bucket. Moses had resigned himself to tending sheep. Having killed an Egyptian, his former life was over. And with that, what would have seemed any promise that God had made to his people. But God wasn't done with his people, and he certainly wasn't done with Moses. He still had some shaping to do with him. So he called him out of this self-imposed defeat 
and back into the work for God's kingdom. I think all of us here have a little bit of Moses the sheep herder in us. God was not done with Moses, and he's not done with any of us. Even if we are at the point of perhaps giving up, Jesus hasn't given up on us. Our king is not through influencing and directing our lives. Now, he won't force us like some earthly kings might, but he's always at the door knocking, just waiting for you to open so that he can enter. Just like the clay in the work of a potter's hands, we're all a work in progress. There's a line from one of C.S. Lewis's books, or maybe it's The Weight of Glory, I think it was a sermon, where he says, God delights in us just like an artist delights in his painting. Jesus, as our Lord and King, won't give up on us. And we shouldn't allow him, we should allow him to, in fact, continue to shape us, to form us and mold us and make us into the people he wants us to be for the sake of the world. Because you see, when we're shaped by Jesus and we receive Jesus into our hearts and into our souls, we go out into a world where we can share that same transforming love with others. The king is a loving king, but he's also a demanding king. He's a judging king, yet he is a king of mercy. In his love, we find love. In his mercy, we find mercy. In his strength, we find strength. This is the Jesus that we prepare to receive during the season of Advent. The very Jesus we will, in fact, receive here tangibly, physically, in a few moments. This is the Jesus who's enthroned not in cathedrals or castles, but on a cross. And if we let him into our hearts. So whose mark do you bear? Back in the time of St. John and the time of Jesus, as I said, masters would brand their slaves. And St. John sees the world in two, two ways. Those who are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever with the sign of the cross on their foreheads, and those who are marked as the beast with the sign of the beast. Um, it makes for really good fiction novels, but it was actually referring to a, a reality. And so C.S. Lewis at the end of The Weight of Glory says, whenever we look on another human, we're looking at one of two things, either a horror we would only meet in a nightmare or something as holy as the sacrament itself because Christ dwells within them. So in a few moments, Ashley's going to receive as a reminder from her baptism, um, the mark of the cross of Christ on her forehead. But if we could see each one of us in here as we truly are, we would see all of those crosses just radiating light right now. Take that light into the world and share it with everyone you can. In the name of the living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.